everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have such a fun episode. I cannot believe she said yes. We have Ellen Hildebrand. So we're going to talk to her a little bit more. But Becca, I don't know, a month ago maybe was like, hey, do you think we could get Ellen Hildebrand on? And I was like, uh, you can try, but I don't know. <laughs> and she said yes. So we're this just like is one of those examples where it never hurts to ask. And sometimes people say yes and make your podcasting dreams come true because we're such big fans. I'm so excited. If you've been listening, you know that I've been on an Ellen Hildebrand kick for the past six months. I'm, I'm late to the party, but I'm here. Um, so I'm so excited to talk to her. Yeah. But before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by Night, the pioneers of beauty sleep products like their beloved Night Pillow. We'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but letting you know you can take 20% off site-wide at discovernight.com with code BOPNIGHT. Before we get to Ellen, let's do some highs and lows. Grace, what's your high? I have a lot of highs. New furniture came this week, my couch. Becca, you're going to I'm excited for you now to get your couch because and we didn't get the same couch or anything, but I don't know what I was missing out with my new couch. Like Erin was like, Grace, you have to get a new couch. That is the most important thing. And I'm like, mm, I'd rather spend my money on art and things. And this couch is like floating in a cloud and it's so much deeper. The captain's chair is so great because it lets me watch TV with my legs out, which is the best, or like balance my computer on my lap while I'm watching TV. I'm so happy with it. It's magical. It looks so good. I saw it on Instagram. And then I had kind of the reverse thing that you had happen. My coffee table like kept getting back ordered. It's from Anthropology. It's really cool. And it was like coming in late June. Then it was like coming in late July. Then it was at September. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. And then so I, I would just like every two weeks I'd go on to Anthropology and like look at the shipping like timelines because it kept getting pushed out and I was going to go and cancel it. And they're like, it's shipped. And then I get a phone call like two days later being like, hey, we want to reschedule. We want to schedule your coffee table delivery. So that's coming tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. So you just have the rug left that you need. When does the rug come? I have no idea. That's driving me a little bit crazy. I like rugs and I feel like it just feels so unfinished without a rug. But I'm trying to be patient. I'm just so grateful about the couch and the coffee table. That's awesome. Then my other highs are I have a friend in town. He's here for four nights, so that's going to be super fun. And then next week, Stacy from Hampton Clothing invited Liz Adams and I on a little, like, I guess we could call it a press trip. It's They're doing a big pop-up on St. Simon's Island in Georgia, and I've never been, but it looks like such a cute little area. And they, they're putting us up for a night in town, and we're going out to dinner, and they dressed us for the event. And I got this, like... It's so – it's like such a departure for me because you know I'm like such a dress girl, but um, I got like this little plaid suit that I can't wait to wear. Oh, that's very out of character. It sounds crazy. It's a short – it's a pair of blue plaid shorts and like a sleeveless double-breasted blazer with – and I wear like a cute little silky camisole under it. It sounds bad when I describe it, but it is the cutest thing. And that's the thing I love about shopping at Hampton is they always find you things like – that are things you wouldn't pick out for yourself. It sounds like a little boy's school uniform. It kind of is, but I'm wearing like these really cute Prenza Schooler um, sandals and it's a great little outfit. 
I can't wait. And I have to say, like, this is not a plug for for Stacey in Hampton, but you go in there and it's like, I walked out. One thing I bought was a size 10. One thing I bought was an extra small. Like, I'm usually like a six or like a medium in clothes. Like, the thing about her is she like styles you and just like – and her team too. It wasn't even with her this time. But if you're in Charleston and you need like – wardrobe advice like go to them because they will find you just like really cool outfits like you'll buy things like in sizes you're not used to but um it just goes to show you like it's not about the number in the in the clothing and it's also like just so fun to have someone like really help you and like um help you put together like a cool outfit because I feel like I'm really bad at putting together actual outfits I just wear dresses a lot they're so nice there. I've only been there once. They dressed us for our live show in Charleston, and the shop girls there were incredible. You got that Ula Johnson dress. Mm-hmm. It's such a good one. Yeah, so those are my highs. Do I have any more highs? No, those are all of them. <laughs> what is yours? I have a few too. I Everyone's having a very high week over here. My high was that Skylar, who is the actress who was the lead in Showmance, which is our most recent rom-com pod season, was in town last weekend from LA. And wait, is she going to replace me? Like, I feel like she's your new best friend and I'm kind of jealous. Well, I mean, she doesn't live in the building and I don't think she's (laughs) imminently moving to New York. So probably not. You're also irreplaceable. But thank you. It was, I'm like, are you going to like replace me as co-host? Is she going to take over for me? No, I don't think so. I don't (laughs) think so. She looks really cool though. I was, I was stalking her after you were posting about her. Um, But it was so exciting because I feel like when we record these seasons, it's all remote. And honestly, I don't even know if after the pandemic, it will be not remote because I think the way that recording booths work, like there would be no physical space for us to be in person. So, but I feel this sense of FOMO from recording where it's like, it almost feels like you kind of have this like summer camp vibe with all these inside jokes and whatever. And I just want to hang out with these people because you spend so much time together and you get so close so fast and then it's over. So it was so fun to get to hang out with her for a few days. What did you guys do? We didn't do a ton. We hung out at my house and then we we went out to dinner in Fort Greene one night and then we went out to uh, drinks on Saturday with also with the actor who plays Mark and his girlfriend. That's so fun. Yeah, it was really fun. But she was here because we were working on a pilot script for Showmance to try to sell it as a TV show. So basically, the first step in the process is that we need to write the pilot script to sell it. And especially because I don't have experience as a TV writer, it's also kind of a bit of proving myself. So we're trying to finish the pilot script by the end of June. And so we were working on the outline because it is different than the podcast because, first of all, there's all the visual elements that, you know, we don't get to play with on the podcast. And then also plot-wise, there are a couple things that we wanted to change. So we were working on that, which was really fun. And I feel – I don't know. I feel like we're in a really good place with it. That's so neat. So how how much, like, longer is a TV script for a pilot versus, like, the – scripts for rom-com pods because I'm I've read a lot of your scripts for rom-com pods so I'm just like curious how it nets out. I don't I think it's probably a similar length but then there's no narration. So there's there's more scenes that happen. But okay, so it's more dialogue and less narration. Yeah, like more happens. Um but the thing about a script is that there's very specific formatting. So it's in Rachel and I tend to write our 
script for the podcast in the smallest font possible so we can see as much on the page as possible. I know that from reading your scripts. I always wondered about that actually because it's very small to read. I have very bad eyes. It's very small. So we like to write in, I don't know, the font we write in is Roboto 10. So it's very small, just so we can see as as much of a scene on a page as possible. But the standard formatting for a script is Courier New in 12, which is a large font and a larger size. So a, our one of our scripts is usually like 12 to 15 pages for an episode. And a script for a, a TV pilot will be like 35 pages. Okay. But it's much larger font, which I'm struggling with. I know what you're talking about because I used to get to read my ex-boyfriend's scripts and I, I know what you mean because like I remember reading them being like, oh my God, 200 pages, this is going to take me forever and then you're like done with it in an hour. Yeah, there's nothing on a page. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of adjusting mentally to it. Okay. Not well, but. I'm so proud of you, like not in a condescending way. I feel like you're, you've like taught yourself all of these new skills this year or, or, or the past two years, I guess, with rom-com pods and now writing a fucking TV pilot. Yeah, it's been a it's been a year. We we launched the first season on June 8th of 2020. We started working on it at the end of January. So, it's been like a year and a half. It's really wild. I mean, in some ways I feel I don't know what my career is going to look like in a year. And some days that's really exciting and some days that's like really terrifying. So, we're just navigating our way through. But my other high is that we're three episodes into this season of Rom-Com Pods and people are loving it, which just is so gratifying and it makes me so happy because we work on these for so long in a vacuum. So to release it, for feedback and to hear that people love it and are saying that it's their favorite season, yeah, it just makes me like so happy. The reviews have been amazing. I follow the Rom-Com Pods account and watch those roll in and it's fun to see. Yeah, it's exciting. Let's Let's take the mood down. What about Lowe's? There really isn't any. It's honestly trying to shoot outfit photos in this heat. It has been a little rough. Clay and I, Clay is my photographer here. And usually I can shoot like four outfit posts in an hour. It's hard to get like two or three done at once because you are just dripping in sweat by the end. And it's so hot. And I like look like a wilted flower. And um. It's just an adjustment. I wish I just like had someone to follow me around and take my pictures with an iPhone because those do better anyway. It's really hard to shoot in this heat. So adjusting to that. We're going to get a lot of pictures in this new apartment this summer. Yeah, everything's going to be inside. No, I don't know. I don't like to shoot inside either. So I'm just kind of figuring that out. Okay. Yeah, it's not a real low. It's all I could really think of when I was making notes in the outline. How about you? I think I pinched a nerve in my back while I was sleeping. Oh, no. Or like my Uh-oh. upper back, so like my back slash my neck. And this was like three nights ago and I can it's it's getting better, but I can still feel it. And just nothing makes me feel older and stupider than injuring myself while sleeping. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I've had my knee has been really bothering me for about a month now. And my masseuse told me it's because of um my inner thigh and my shin are both really tight and like pulling on it. And I feel so old. Like we all went bowling a few nights ago and I was like, I'll sit this one out, but like I'll drink and cheer. And I was just like, this is what it's like to be almost 40. Yeah. You're like, 
I can, I'm injured. I can't bowl. The very athletic endeavor of bowling. But bowling is like you have to really use your knees. Yeah, you have to squat down. I yeah. mean, or you could be like me. I'm a very bad bowler and I bowl between my legs, granny style. Yeah, but even that is a is um bending. Because I tried, I was like, I was practicing the bowling moves in my house before I left to see if I could do it. <laughs> and I was like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> oh my God. That's too funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into this interview, one housekeeping announcement. So we are actually going to take the month of July off. So we're going to take a little hiatus in July. Grace is going to be in Cape Cod with her family, and we're just going to take a little bit of a summer vacation. And we'll be back in August. But that also means that we don't have a book club in July. So we'll announce our book club pick for August somewhere at the end of July. Yes. And next week, we still have one more episode. We have our our book club um, with Emily Henry. Yes. So that'll do. be our last episode for a month. Yes. And then we'll be back. We'll be fresh. We'll be have lots of stories to catch you up on. But yeah, we'll be We're back so in, interesting. In we'll have so many stories. <laughs> I think we will. I think we will. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited to just it's always an, like when you go on vacation, like it's difficult to like lug the recorder and the microphones and stuff. So it's as silly as that is. I'm just looking forward to traveling a little later. Yeah. Let's take a quick ad break before we get into today's discussion to talk about night. So if you've been listening for a long time or any time, you know how much Grace and I value our sleep. We are both eight to nine hour a night kind of gals, maybe even 10 on a weekend. And for both of us, our biggest sleep hack is the night pillow. I've just been so slammed with work and getting a good night's sleep is the single most important thing for my productivity. Oh, it is so important. But let's talk about this pillow. So we have talked about this pillow over and over again. But this is a memory foam pillow with a silk pillowcase. So what makes it so amazing is that the memory foam cradles your head and bounces back into shape whenever you turn over. So this is big for me. I personally move around a lot in my sleep. Sometimes it's my side. Sometimes it's my stomach. And with my other pillows, I just wind up with that sad flat pillow It's just not comfortable for my neck. So the comfort piece is definitely the most important part for me, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that there are also some major beauty bonuses. So first of all, since the pillow is made of silk, which is a non-absorbent fabric, it keeps your expensive beauty products on your face where they belong instead of soaking into your pillow. And also, silk is more gentle on your hair, so you get less breakage and you wake up without a wild mane of bedhead. And especially as I go longer between washes, this has been really major for me so that I don't just wake up with a rat's nest of hair after I sleep. Yes, but it is not just about the pillow. So Knight has some other amazing products too. I am all about their eye mask for sleeping. It blocks out light. It won't irritate your skin. I've had mine for over two years and it still hasn't stretched out. We also both love their scrunchies. So I personally really love the original ones, but I know Becca's been using the thin ones. And what's so great about them is that they won't put bends and creases in your hair. And because they're made of silk, they're not going to break or tear your hair. So if you're ready to try the Night Pillow or any of Night's other amazing products, you can take 20% off site-wide with code BOPNIGHT at discovernight.com. Again, that's 20% off with code BOPNIGHT at discovernight.com. Let's get into the interview. We could not be more excited about today's guest. She needs no introduction, but Ellen Hildebrand is the proud mother of three, a dedicated Peloton writer, 
an aspiring book influencer, and an enthusiastic at-home cook. You can follow her on Instagram at Ellen Hildebrand to watch her cringe cooking show. And most importantly, she is the author of 27 novels, and her 27th novel just came out. It's Golden Girl. And she's one of our, both of our favorite authors, and we are so excited to talk to her today. Ellen, welcome. Yeah, thank you for saying yes. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. It feels very timely because you have been dubbed the queen of the beach read, and we are very much deep in beach reading season. Yes. Excellent. Yes, we are. Yeah, we we absolutely are. I just finished reading The Blue Bistro, which is an old, one of your older books. I think it's from 2005. And I'm, I have some questions to ask you about that book in particular. But um, I thought it would be fun if we could start at the beginning. Can you tell us the origin story for your first book? Yeah, how'd you get started on all of this? So, I mean, the, the origin story is that, you know, I used to go, when I was growing up, okay, I went to um, Cape Cod. We, my, my family would go to Cape Cod every in July, every summer. And so I sort of fell in love with like the beach lifestyle. We had the, we rented this like ramshackle house that had a sagging screen porch off the back and, you know, sand between the floorboards and we had all, and it was on this sandy lane that led to the beach. And we had all these rules that we had to follow when we were growing up. Like we were not allowed to shower inside. We had to use the outdoor shower. We were not allowed to eat inside. You know, we ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the deck at the picnic table. And if it was sunny, it was a beach day. And like me and my siblings would be marched down to the beach with the towel sling around our neck. My parents would slather us with copper tone number four, uh, which was a foam, you know, and then we'd come home after eight hours and we'd be like radioactively glowing. (laughs) My grandmother used to say, you know, we'd all be sitting around the dinner table. She'd be like, oh, you all look so healthy. Um, (laughs) And my father used to wake us up twice in the middle of the night um, during the time that we were in the Cape. He would wake us up once and we would go down to the beach in our pajamas to look at the stars. And then the second time he would wake us up, he would light the candles in the dining room and uh, we would play Midnight Uno. And we used to go down, watch the sunset every night like it was a Broadway show. We'd go early, get our seats, the sun would go down, and then we'd go home and grill or we'd go out for fried clam, soft serve ice cream, play miniature golf. I mean, it was an idyllic way to grow up by anyone's standards. And then when I was 16, my father was killed in a plane crash and those summers came to an end. And I spent my 17th summer, I worked in a factory that made Halloween costumes. And I told myself, no matter what I did with my life, I would find a way to spend every summer at the beach. I always wanted to be a writer. And so I attended the Johns Hopkins University, which many people think is for medical students. And in fact, it is. And a lot of my roommates were like biomedical engineers or, you know, they were pre-med. And I was a creative writing major. They have a dedicated creative writing program at Hopkins. I was in it. It was a little bit easier than everybody else's like molecular biology. So my job in college was to go save the seats at the bar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) which I did religiously Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, I graduated from Hopkins and I asked my professor, the writer, Madison Smart Bell. I said, I want to be a writer. What do I do? Do I go to graduate school? Do I get a job? And he said, you have to go out in the world and live. That's the most important thing for being a writer. So I moved to New York City. I worked in publishing for nine months. It did not work out. I thought writer publishing. Nope. The two things do not go together. I realized what I needed was time. And so I decided I was going to teach and then I would have the summers free to do my writing. And this is what I did. So I first taught 
at IS-227 in Queens, New York. And then I got a better job the second year teaching in Westchester County, north of the city. So I would take Metro North out. I would opposite commute. And I had the summer between the two teaching years off. And I thought, okay, now is my chance. I'm going to get back to the beach. So I rented a, a room in a house here on Nantucket. You know, I had grown up obviously on the Cape. I had been to the vineyard in college and I thought I'm going to try the third point on the triangle and I'm going to go to Nantucket. Came to Nantucket, fell madly in love with it that summer. I mean, I paraphrased John Denver and say that when the ferry pulled into the harbor, I felt like I was coming home to a place I had never been before. I absolutely loved it. Went back to New York, taught the second year. And then at the end of that school year, I moved to Nantucket permanently. That was in 1994. And after I had been here a couple of years in the, in the, I would work in the summer and then in the off season, I would travel and I went like I backpacked through Southeast Asia. I went to Australia, New Zealand. The second year I went to, to South America, to Chile, Argentina, Ecuador, I went to the Galapagos Islands, Costa Rica. So after doing that, I felt like I had sufficiently gone out and lived and I applied to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop. So. For those of you who don't know, Iowa is a big deal in the writing world. It was very hard to get in, I guess. I mean, once I got in there, I saw how competitive it was. And it was very competitive while I was there. It's obviously in Iowa. It's in the middle of the country. I was a literal fish out of water. You know, I was used to being at the beach every day. And instead, Iowa was sort of cornfields and pig farms and, you know, silos and Big Ten football. And... um I was, I was miserable and the program was really, really tough, like not supportive as I had imagined. And so the university offered free therapy and every week I would go to therapy and I would cry about how miserable I was. And the therapist said, well, you understand what you have to do. Right. And I thought she was going to tell me I had to quit and go home. And I said, no, what? She said, you need to start writing about Nantucket. So I started writing my novel, The Beach Club, while I was at Iowa. And then in my very last workshop, the last workshop I had my U-Haul packed, I was ready to go. I go to the workshop and my, my professor's agent is in the class. And he says, which one of you lives on Nantucket? Sort of like, isn't it obvious? Like, I think I was wearing a sarong in class. Um, <laughs> and like, oh, that's me. And he said, oh, please stay and see me after class. And I, I didn't even want to, you guys. I was like, hmm you know, I, I really want to get out of here, but I, I did. I stayed and chatted with him and it turns out that he'd grown up on Nantucket. I said, oh, I've written this book. I'm writing this book set on Nantucket. And he said, when you are finished with it, send it to me. So that was in May of 98. I sent it to him in January of 99, meaning I, you know, printed it out, put it in a box and mailed it to New York. And he called and he said, um, I, I love this. I would like to represent you and I'm going to make you lots and lots of money. And I thought, oh, who doesn't like to hear that? I was so excited. He then proceeds to send the novel out to, uh, you know, the 13 publishing houses that are in New York at that time. And 12 of them say no. And the very last publisher, which is St. Martin's Press, says, yes, they'd like to make an offer of $5,000. And I'm like, is, okay, is $5,000 a lot of money? Because I can't obviously quit my job. And he's like, well, it's the only offer we have. So we're going to go ahead and take it. So take the offer for $5,000. The Beach Club is published in the summer of 2000. It gets People Magazine's Beach Book of the Week right out of the gates. I was so excited. St. Martin's Press had only published 2,500 copies. Those copies are immediately gone. This is the year 2000, you guys. There's like no downloading it on your Kindle. 
Like it's very, you know, you have to basically go to a bookstore and get a book and they're out of copies. That's frustrating. Despite that, I get a, I get a contract for two more books. They don't do quite as well as the beach club, but they do well enough that I get a contract after that for two more books. My fourth book, the blue bistro is my favorite book I've ever written. And uh, it sells abominably. It sells 4,000 copies in hardback, and which is just awful. And I was so depressed by this that I, I got, I was like, what can I do? So I hired a publicist for book five. Again, the People Magazine, four stars, book of the week. I'm so excited. Again, St. Martin's has only published 7,500 copies. They sell out over the course of the summer. Again, before the Nook, whatever, no iPhones. So I'm so frustrated at that point. I'm sitting on a novel called Barefoot. My agent, same agent, says, I think we have to switch publishers for Barefoot. I don't want to switch publishers because I have Stockholm Syndrome and I am in love with my captor. Like, I want to stay. But he convinces me and I go to New York for like my fairy tale day and I meet with the 10 publishers that are then in New York and all 10 want to publish Barefoot. And I end up, with going with Little Brown and they have turned, you know, the last 22 books into New York Times bestsellers. That's such an incredible story. I I love hearing your origin story and I love hearing that it didn't click immediately. There's something really right. like, you know, there's something really inspiring about, you know, it wasn't just like this overnight instant success. But I'm curious, like, correct. what kept you motivated during that? Because, you know, it's really easy to say in hindsight, you were like, yeah, and like, it, it wasn't going great. But that was also five years, theoretically, of, of your time that you were still putting into this and writing and working, working so hard doing this. Right. I just, you know, John Irving, when John Irving came to Iowa, he said, if you can do anything other than write, do anything else, because it's so hard. And I found that I really couldn't do anything else. Like I wanted to be a writer so badly. And I knew, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, you also have to understand at this time in my life, I've got little kids. So when the beach club is published, I have a baby and he's six months old when the book comes out. And then when this third book comes out, I've got a baby and a toddler. And then, you know, when the blue bistro comes out, you know, everybody's little, and I was pregnant with my daughter, then my third child, when book five came out. So I was very busy doing other things. So my career, while not secondary, was not quite, it wasn't quite as, I'm not quite as obsessed with it as I am now. Like it was, it was something I did and it was making enough money that I didn't have to work otherwise. And so I just told myself, I'm just going to keep going because what else can I do? And once I got barefoot, my life changed. But I do want to point something else out. I Barefoot was my sixth novel. I published every summer and Little Brown did a great job of growing me like a little bit, sometimes incrementally, sometimes a little bit more, you know, year by year, summer by summer. In 2014, I started with the Christmas books. And so then I was doing two books a year and it took me until my 23rd book to debut at number one on the bestseller list. Wow. And I didn't realize that. Yes. My, it was my 23rd, it was summer of 69, which was my 23rd book. So like every year I get a little bit closer to the top and, and every year I'd go into my meeting with little Brown and they'd be like, okay, our goal is to get you to number one. And I'm thinking, I'm never, I'm never going to get to number one. Um, and then with summer of 69, it was very interesting because the book I had to beat to get to number one 
was crawdads and crawdads is like the juggernaut of the top of the list i also hated crawdads i hate it so much (laughs) i i am not going to comment one way or the other but i was like i i couldn't it was not possible i didn't think it was not possible to beat her and and i was a little bit bitter because i was like it's her first book it's probably going to be her only book um and uh, but I did anyway I did I beat her I beat her for one week oh that Um, must have felt so good it did because it was because it was it was it was a you know the comparison of our two careers like me who just like sort of slowly like been marching along marching along marching along and somebody who you know in her defense, like she's, she's a little bit older than I am. And, you know, maybe we all have one amazing novel in us. I don't know, but it was, it was, it was very, it felt very good. And it, and it felt very good because the juxtaposition of how we did it was so bad. It was so stark. Yeah. So two books a year, like that is a lot. And all of your books, I will talk about this a little bit more. I feel like all of your books are just so well researched. The character development is amazing. How do you, how do you do it? Can you talk to us a little bit about how you stay organized and manage a schedule to, to, to manage to churn, churn out? And I don't want to say churn out because the, the quality of your books is so good. How you, how you create two books a year? Where do you find the time? Right. So I did that for seven years. I, it was so stressful. I, in fact, so I've now stopped. So one of the things I did for myself in the year 2021 <laughs> is I told my publisher, like, I'm done with the winter books. I did, you know, the Christmas series then I did the Caribbean series. And I'm like, I have to go back to one book a year. My poor children. I mean, ultimately, they are the ones who suffered. Um, but I am extremely disciplined. So you, you, the readers can't see me and the listeners can't see me, but I'm wearing my you know, my running clothes, like I run every day, I do the Peloton every day, and I go to bar class every day, I exercise for three hours every morning. I'm very privileged to be able to do that. First of all, I realize that. But it's a discipline that sets up the rest of my day, because then the hardest thing I'm going to do is done. And I get into the writing. And, you know, I write, I write every day, no matter what, and I just keep going. And I, you know, do not allow myself the luxury of writer's block and just really power through. Is there a book somewhere in a drawer that you just haven't been able to make work? Or do you just power through every single one and make it work regardless? Um, the only book that didn't work was my very, very, very first book, which was the book even before The Beach Club that I was writing. I guess I must have been writing that in Iowa. I might even have been writing it while I lived in New York um, called Girl Stuff. Never seen the light of day, gone forever terrible 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 but I mean if you have any aspiring writers listening to this podcast the thing you absolutely must know is that the the worst thing that can happen I mean other than not finishing which I think is a very very common problem like Michael's words to me like when you are finished with it send it to me like you have to finish something a that's the first thing and then if it turns out that it doesn't work like girl stuff did not work I sent it to like three agents and they were they all turned it down um I did that without an agent. I, I mean, I turned, yeah, no, I sent it to the agents myself and they turned it down. Um, is, to, is to write another book and you have to let go and write another book. That is extremely important advice. Which book of yours has been the hardest to birth? I think I'm going to say Silver Girl. And it and a lot of people, that's their favorite book. I just read it that went one. Through, yeah, it went through six revisions at the end. 
And the reason it was so hard is because Meredith, my main character, is based on Ruth Madoff, and it took a lot to make her likable. And it, that was very challenging. And I went through it again and again and again and again and again. Um, but I think ultimately I succeeded because a lot of people will say that's that's their favorite. Yeah, when I read your first book, I got I, I came in through the winter series because last fall I was reading all of these Christmas books and um, everyone was recommending you have to read Winter Street, you have to read Winter Street, you have to read Winter Street. And I read it and I was so bowled over by the writing and how phenomenal it was because a lot of these Christmas books are really fun and festive, but they're kind of junky. And right. I loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have to read more of these books. And I, and so I put up something on my Instagram stories and Silver Girl, I think what Silver Girl and the Blue Bistro were the two that came the most recommended, like over yes. and over and over. Yes. And 28 Summers, actually. Yes. 28 Summers was like, a lo- people either loved it or hated it. I loved it. Loved Thank it. Thank you. Um, so you have been called the queen of beach reads. And I'm curious, how do you feel about the term beach read? How do you feel about the title queen of beach reads? I like it. I mean, I, I just would like to, I personally think, and this is like just said with incredible hubris that I write a better beach book. I do. I really take time. And, you know, I have the literary background because I went to Iowa and, I try to bring literary elements to a beach read. And that is, there's no reason why we, we can't. And so, you know, my, you know, I really dive into character development. I like plot twists. I love like going deep into setting and, and atmosphere, as you know. Um, but I try and make them as engrossing as I possibly can. And I, I feel like beach reads, you know, they're not, overly serious they're not it's you know they're not really gritty or dark but they they can be you know emotionally moving and that's really what I go for every time yeah I totally see that I listened to another I I think it was um your interview with Caroline from G thinks I just bought it and I think that you referred to it as high quality escapism and that's probably what I would I, I think that was the perfect you kind of hit the nail on the right. head with that one because there's so, there's so many beach reads out there and I'm like I'm, I'm I feel like I'm getting stupid by reading this and with yours like it's not that so I think we we're just curious like how it feels to be compared to books like that I mean but, I don't I don't freak yeah. out about it I can't freak out about it because that's what it, I mean they're literally yeah. Yeah. yeah literally yeah on Nantucket <laughs> Island is uh like the ultimate summer like elite summer destination and and Nantucket is such a an authentic an authentic place and 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 they are beach I mean and then I said yeah and then I said yeah Caribbean it's like these are definitely beach reads so we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna be grandiose we're just gonna call it totally so you've written 27 books now are you able to tell us the premise for or your, your most recent book? book so golden girl just came out yeah oh yeah okay so golden girl is about you know a nantucket novelist named who's written 13 books named vivian howe and she goes out for a jog one morning as she does every morning and she's hit by a car and killed and she ascends into the beyond and is 
met by her administrator, Martha. And Martha says, that was really unfair. I'm going to grant you a 75-day viewing window so you can watch what happens below for the summer. And I'm going to give you the use of three nudges so that you can influence outcomes below. And so Vivi watches her three young adults, children, um, her ex-husband, her boyfriend, her best friend. And she watches, you know, them grieve. And then that, as they move on, she learns their secrets. And, you know, she has to decide when and where she's going to intervene in their lives. And, you know, she also goes back in time. She's able to go back in time and sort of take a look at her own life. And, and she has a secret buried in the book that is coming out that summer um, post postmortem. Um, and so there's like a little bit of, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of drama. Let's just put it that way. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And it's not a sequel to Silver Girl, even though it's. No, not at all. Okay. It is, it is not at all. The only sort of thematic thing that ties them together is that Silver Girl was a book that was in large part inspired by the death of my father and ditto Golden Girl, because I've always felt like he's been watching me and sort of has his hand on my back. And, and so those two things are, are what tie the books together. Yeah. So you, you've written so many different types of books over your career. You've written romances, you've, you've written mysteries, you've written kind of these complex generational family stories. What's your favorite type of story to write? Um, I mean, my favorite book, and it's so interesting because I'm really trying to recreate it now. My favorite book was The Blue Bistro. And this is why. The Blue Bistro is about a situation that is not sustainable, but that is magical in time. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it's a summer. And so it's a summer at this restaurant and it happens to be the last summer at this restaurant. And it's so great. And the thing is, is they know it's coming to an end. And it's like when you go to summer camp, right? When you go to summer camp and you have like this unbelievable great summer and then you, but you know that eventually your parents are going to pull up and you're going to have to leave. Or if you have a job um, or like a year in college or some, some kind of sweet spot in your life where things are really great and you just know that it's not going to last. And so that is, those are like my favorite books to write. Cause it's, it's an emotion that I love to mine and just like the, the, the enjoying it while it's happening. And then just the heartbreak when it's over. And you just said that you're, you're trying to recreate that. What does that mean? Is there more so what, coming in this universe? Well, so I'm writing a novel right now called the hotel Nantucket. And, and my goal is there are some characters from the blue beast who will reappear, but my oh, goal yay. is to write a 2021 version. Cause if you think about it, like the blue beast is very, is very 2004, 2005. Like it's, it's not particularly diverse and inclusive. Like I, and I, I really want to write a novel that has a cast of characters that's diverse and inclusive that feels like it's happening in the, in the yeah. you know, 2020s. And so I'm writing about this hotel and it's actually a ghost story. I've never done a ghost story, but there's a ghost at the hotel. She's sort of my omniscient narrator. And, and then, you know, that the GM is a woman and, and then there's a bar, the blue bar, which is run by someone from the blue bistro. And, and, just like, you know, obviously the things that you would expect from a hotel novel, like the guests coming through and the, you know, the drama with the staff, et cetera. But I wanted to really want it to be of the moment and be a 2021 novel. The Blue Bistro just has such an incredible sense of place 
And I say that having wor- having worked in a restaurant through college and Grace grew up in a restaurant and it just it felt so like it's its own world and it has its own dramas and people and, and things. And it just you got it so right. Yes, I grew up on Cape Cod in a restaurant. And then I also dealt with watching my parents close the restaurant Um as they retired and everything. So there wasn't like a crisis that was causing them to close it. But I just, I was just, I read the book and I feel like I was just smiling the whole time. And then there was all like the love story and all the other things, but you got it so right. Did you work in restaurants? So I'm like the only person on Nantucket that's never worked in a restaurant. Um, But I, I mean, I, for that book, I really did my research. Like I worked one night at this restaurant that's no longer with us called 21 Federal. Um, I met with all the restaurateurs that I knew, like purse in person. It was sort of even like, it was definitely before cell phone well, for me, but like I met in person with all of these restaurateurs, every aspect, the bartenders, blah, blah, blah. I did all this reading. So I started with Tony Bourdain. You know, I read Michael Rule. I read every book about waiting tables or bartending that I could possibly get my hands on. And I was already a foodie and, Nantucket has such an unbelievable dining landscape. I mean, there's no reason to have a bad meal on Nantucket. It is it is just there's no reason for it. Everything is so delicious, like from the takeout, from the food trucks, from the brewery to the to the high end dining. Um, there's so many good restaurants. And so that really fed into me being able to write a great restaurant book. Okay, let's take one more ad break. As life gets back to normal, I have seen so many people just contemplating big changes, experiencing newfound social anxiety, or just struggling with how we're supposed to get back to normal, or at least normal-ish. That's what I've been calling it. So you've heard us talk about BetterHelp for the past few months, and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp for me? First of all, we think BetterHelp is an awesome service for pretty much anyone, but specifically if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who might be able to help. And they make it really, really easy. Here's how it works. You fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. They ask you about your age, your relationship status, and your past experience with therapy and what you're looking to address. And then they match you with your own professional licensed therapist in under 24 hours. Then you choose how you want to interact with them. You can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, or have video or phone sessions, whatever works best for you. Something we really love is that they also have counselors who are specialized in specific issues, be it stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's so great is that they're committed to facilitating. So if your first therapist isn't a fit, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always going to be confidential. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash badonpaper. So Ellen, so most of your books are set on Nantucket. You have the Caribbean series that's set on St. John. There's a couple that span Martha's Vineyard. Have you ever been tempted to write a book that takes place somewhere else? Or would you ever? I mean, 
would I ever maybe I'm not going to so I'm retiring I don't know if you have this news flash no. I'm retiring in 20 retiring in 2024 um and I am intending to stick by that so I mean unless something dramatic happens <laughs> I am retiring in 2024 and I'm just gonna finish I'm gonna be done with what but what I mean by retiring is I'm gonna be done with what I'm doing right now, which is a book every summer set on Nantucket. Though I feel like those will organically come to an end. I also want to set an example of like a good dismount because I feel like some writers just go, 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 go. And then the the thread gets very thin and then it snaps. And I don't ever want that to happen. I don't want to phone a book in. I don't want the quality to drop. I want to keep producing really, really strong novels. And I feel like I have three left and then I'm, I'm going to, be finished now might I regroup and do something set somewhere else I might I'm not going to say I wouldn't I might I might but I mean I when I when I made the move to St. John I wondered if everybody would come with me and they did they did come with me to St. John it's it's sold beautifully and I'm very happy about that oh my goodness so 2024 means there's three books left are they all in the same series or are they three separate books so they will be three standalones Okay. Summer 22, 23, and 24. Okay. Yeah. So you have three left in you that you need to, three stories you need to tell. Yes. Okay. That, and then we'll be finished. That makes me even more excited for these next three. Yeah. Wow. Wait, a question about all of the characters in your books. So throughout them, some of them pop back in and out through different storylines, but how do you keep all of these people straight? Uh, I don't, you know, sometimes I have a hard time, but the, the ones that recur, the, the characters that recur, so like the police chief is quite obvious. If I need him, I bring him in. Fast Eddie, the real estate agent, he, he first appeared in the rumor and then he pops back up in the, in the last Winter Street book and, and he, he appears actually in the Hotel Nantucket that I'm writing now. I mean, he, he's so funny. And if I need a real estate agent, I, I use him. It's basically like the job that they have. There's a lawyer that I wrote about in Nantucket Nights, which is my second book named Val, and she appears in The Perfect Couple. So if I need somebody, I will draw them from a different book. And are these people, some of these recurring characters, are these based on real people in Nantucket? So, you know, you kind of have a real life proxy for them that you're like, oh, yeah, the police chief, let's bring him back. I don't know. I am friends with the police chief. He's a very serious person, as you might imagine. <laughs> so the police chief here in Nantucket is from Springfield. He hails from Springfield, Illinois, and his sister, Sandy, he's got a bunch of sisters, but his sister, Sandy, is like the huge fan of Ellen. And so she she always laughs and says it's the chief in this one. But it's not really him because, um, you know, it's just not, but he, but he obviously knows that this character exists in my books <laughs> and his wife and his wife always reads them. And she's a lovely, she's been a friend of mine forever and ever. And she, they're very well aware that the, the character is in, in my books, but it's not, it's not Bill. Okay. Okay. So to wind down, we have a few, we have a few recommendation questions for people who are just getting into your books or maybe people who want to know your opinions on other books or Nantucket. So the first thing the New York Times recently did a roundup of the essential Ellen Hildebrand, which is so major. That's incredible. And they singled out nine books as the best place to start for for new readers to you. And I'm curious if you would agree or disagree with their picks. And if you had to pick three books as a starting point, which they would be. So she, 
that it was living and, and how wonderful was she? And I mean, that was, that was the, that was the article of a lifetime. That's amazing. Right. Right. And it was article of a lifetime. I yeah. could not, I honestly could not get over it. Yes. I think she actually missed what I would say were the three that I would wholly recommend. So like my top three were not mentioned in her oh. top, oh. which is, yeah, which is fine because, you know, it's like children, like you love them all the same. But if I'm starting somebody out, I'm starting them with the Blue Bistro, mm -hmm. obviously. That's my favorite. And it has that, you know, you're on Nantucket for the summer working in this restaurant. Like, you're there. Number two, my second favorite book is, um, to recommend, is Summerland, which came out in the summer of 2012. It's about teenagers, at the, these four teenagers at Nantucket High School who are in a car crash. One of them dies. One of them's in a coma. And then two survive. And the parents have all been best friends forever and a day. And there's some stuff going on with the parents. And so the parents feel responsible. And the book is, it's probably my most serious, but I happen to think it's one of the best. And it has like that fun element of high school, which when told with an adult perspective is honestly one of my favorite things ever, because who I feel like in our hearts, right. We're all 17. And so that book, Summerland really, sort of lets you experience life as a 17 year old. And then you get the parents perspective as well. The third book, which is one that I sometimes just recommend people start with is the perfect couple, which is my murder mystery. And that has everything that you would possibly want in a summer read. I think it's, it's a murder. We have the chief. It's a fancy wedding in Mont set out in Monomoy, which on the, at this gorgeous summer estate, it's set, secondarily in New York City in you know the characters I think and has a lot of twists and turns and reveals and so the perfect couple is would be my third for sure oh okay I loved the perfect couple by the way thank you I have not read Summerland I'm very excited to check that one out while you were talking I wrote that one down because I need to order it so if you switching gears to not your books, if your best friend was to be going on vacation and said, Ellen, what are three books I need to pack that you did not write? What would you suggest? So number one, my number one book, beach book for any recommendation for anybody is Emma Straub wrote a book called The Vacationers. It is my number one favorite beach book. Oh, I love Emma. Um, it's about it's about this dysfunctional family who goes to Mallorca or I think it's somewhere. So it's an island. I think they're in Mallorca off of Sp in Spain. And for the summer. And so it has like the fantastic dysfunctional family told from like different points of view, which as you know, I love because I do it myself and the really glamorous island setting of Mallorca. And I'm always fascinated by people who spend the summer in Europe. And so this book gives you that. What other books? Okay. I just read phenomenal The Plot by Jean Hamp Coralitz. So Jean Hamp Corlitz also wrote the book called You Should Have Known, which was the basis for The Undoing on HBO. Oh. Did we see The Undoing on HBO? Because uh, yes, we did. Becca, did you watch it? I did not. That's not my type of show. I'm not usually a murder show type person. So I'm a murder girl. I like I love anything murdery. <laughs> it was fabulous. And so she wrote that book. But this new book, The Plot, is about it was very interesting to read because it's about also about a writer uh, who who steals one of his students plots and then the student dies and the book be his the book that he's borrowed or 
stole becomes a success. And it is also like a thriller because somebody knows that he's created, he's done this plagiarism. And I mean, it is a page turner, but her sentence to sen- sentence writing is some of the best I've ever read in okay. my life. So the plot, highly, highly recommended. And then for something lighter, I just finished uh, a book by Amy Popple called Musical Chairs. Loved and that. that. Okay, so you know it. Okay, perfect. And how great of a summer read is that? It, and I have never heard I had never heard of Amy Popple. And I was on tour and one of the booksellers where I, a store where I did a signing was like, oh, you should read musical chairs. And it was light and it was funny and it was well-written and it was smart and it was, but it was, you know, very, very engaging and, and just, it felt good. It felt good. And it feels like a perfect beach read. Oh, I loved that one. That one really took me by surprise. It languished in my pile for, it got sent to me when it came out and it, it languished in my pile for so long. And then I read it and was like, why did I wait so long? This was so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet. Now I'm excited. So the last question that we are obliged to ask you is you talk so much about the food scene in Nantucket on your books. So if somebody is coming to Nantucket, I need a number one must eat recommendation, maybe one fancy one and one casual one. Okay. That is such a good idea. So the casual one is a piece of cake because the casual one, you're going to go to the sandbar and I immortalized the sandbar in golden girl. I call it the oyster catcher, but basically the restaurant is the same. It is like this big, uh, open air, nothing fancy, big open air place with picnic tables, like jauntily painted picnic tables. It has live music. It has a raw bar. It has a bar. It's in the sand. It's on the beach. They do fish tacos, fish sandwiches, burgers, fries, um, but upscale, upscale-ish for that kind of food. Um, and, you know, you can sit and get buckashuck and cocktails or champagne or you have your burgers, whatever. It is a must. Okay. You must because you can watch the sun go down. Okay, that's okay. Number two would be the galley also on the water, which is I'm eating there tomorrow night. I could not be more excited extremely expensive, but worth every penny. You're in the sand. And that is the restaurant that I based the Blue Bistro on. Oh, I love that. Amazing. I love that. I've actually never been to Nantucket. And I feel like reading your books now, I feel like I have to come. So I'm I'm definitely putting those on my list. Okay, perfect. You must email me and I will take you around. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. That would be so fun. Ellen, you have been such a wonderful guest. Thank you. Can you please tell all of our listeners where they can find you online and you know, all of the details of where they should buy Golden Girl or any of your top three starting books? Totally. So if you want a signed and personalized copy of any of my books, you can go to nantucketbookpartners.com. That is my hometown books, the Island bookstore. I go in two or three times a week and I sign and personalize. They ship. You can do that. You can obviously find it anywhere books are sold um, and online. So I have a professional Facebook page. The best place to follow me is on Instagram at Ellen Hildebrand. Again, I do the cooking show. I do videos of Nantucket. I take pictures of my garden. I do roses and hydrangea bushes. I do other people's window boxes. And I, I sometimes do restaurant feature restaurants in my Instagram. So my Instagram is a fun place. It is 100% curated by yours truly. I do not have anyone help me with it. So yeah, so that, and I just want to thank you guys because your questions were so interesting and and so different. And I, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. This was such a joy. Oh, thank you. 
it was amazing to get to talk to you. Like, so cool. Shall we get into some end matter? Yes, let's do it. So what about Instagram? Do you have one this week? I do. It's kind of backwards because my Instagram has to do with my obsession. Oh, okay. So, and you don't like my obsession. So I'll just, I'll I'll go out of order. I'll tell you my obsession first. So my obsession is the show Starstruck on HBO Max, which I loved Grace Hayden. I only watched one episode. I just, I found the characters to be annoying and dislikable, so I turned it off. And then I I rewatched the first episode again. I was like, maybe I wasn't giving it enough of a chance because of the Facebook group conversation. And I still was like, I hate this. I can see you not liking it. It's basically, it's a British rom-com. And it is about a woman who meets a very famous man on New Year's Eve and they have a one night stand and then them kind of like reconciling their relationship. And you're right. Like they, it is unlikable characters. I thought it was so interesting because it's a very different type of rom-com heroine. Like she is very messy. She's like in her late 20s. I think she's 28. She's like very uncertain about her life and like trying to piece it together. Um, I think that's why I don't like her. Like it kind of was like I don't like this messy woman. I know it kind of reminds me if like girls met like a, a British rom com. I really really liked it, and I, I especially really liked the lead actress who you hated. So she's <laughs> the lead actress, but she also wrote the show, and so her name is Rose Matafeo, and she is a New Zealand actress and writer. And I was just so impressed with her, so I started following her on Instagram just because I was. I was Wikipediaing and and researching her, and I was like just so interested in in the story behind this. So I've been following her, and it's just I don't know, it's just like so cute to see all of her reactions to the success of the show in real time. Oh, I like that, and now I feel bad. I don't know. It's just I just think the show is not for me. I also really like about the show that she is. I don't I don't want to speculate on what size she is, but she's not like a rail thin person, and so I really like that it's about kind of like an average-sized person dating a celebrity as opposed to somebody who's, you know, like super, super skinny. Yeah, I did like that. I just found her so dislikable. I thought it was incredibly well-written. And I also really like the male lead. The male lead is Nikesh Patel, who's in uh, Mindy Kaling's version of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Okay. Sorry, I just got really excited about something else. Speaking of messy characters, did you see that Never Have I Ever is coming back? Yes, I'm so excited. Like, July 15th, I want to say, is the date. I'm so excited. So this is so nerdy, but as part of the process of writing the pilot for Showmance, I watched a lot of pilots two weeks ago of different shows, and I like mapped them out in an Excel sheet of like what the scene breaks are and, and kind of like how it's structured just to get a sense of like how long scenes run and how they're structuring things. And Never Have I Ever is one of the pilots that I watched. And I had to go on to another pilot because that's what I was doing. But I was very tempted to rewatch the whole thing. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to rewatch the whole thing to get ready for season two. I feel like when we get back from our break, we're going to have so much TV to talk about. We're going to have so much TV. The new Gossip Girl. The summer TV lineup is insane. The new Gossip Girl, Virgin River. You don't watch Ted Lasso, but there's going to be new Ted Lasso. But I think that's not until August. There's so much that's coming back in July. There's so much. I'm so excited. What is your Instagram and then your obsession? Because I I did both okay. of mine. So my Instagram is – I have been – first of all, we talked about this last week. I've been shopping way too much, but 
Instagram has been targeting me like really hard with shopping. And there is this brand. It's called Munser Studio and it's spelled M-O-U-N-S-E-R. I linked to them in Monday's blog post too, but they have these amazing acrylic rings that look like candy. And they um they kept targeting me with this ad with that had like seven rings, like maybe no, like maybe 10 rings on one hand. And they're just like so fun and, and colorful. I was like, I want all of those rings. So I went on and I did buy two rings and they're fabulous. They're so fun. I've never seen anything like them. Oh, interesting. And then I have two regular obsessions. So the first one is an artist. She's local to Charleston. I got to go to a studio tour of hers last week. Her name is Jill Hooper Art. Jill Hooper Art is her Instagram. And she is the youngest living artist to be collected by the Gibbs Museum, which is the big art museum here in Charleston. And I thought that was really cool. I tend to like more modern art, but she actually is classically trained and has like the most amazing, like really realist portraits. But she did this one piece. I'm going to, I have a postcard of it. I'm going to show it to you where, where it's a woman and she has like butterflies coming out of her head. Oh, cool. Yeah. So she's just so, so incredibly talented. I got to meet her and I bought a very, very tiny little, um, little piece for my apartment. The other one is a TV show that you recommended that I did love. And that is Hacks. And oh my God, it's so good. I loved it. I laughed so hard. See, I do like, I like funny things. I just don't like sitcom humor. That's actually really funny because Ava is also a really unlikable character that I would expect you to similarly have issues with. No, but she was like older and glamorous and, oh no, Ava, the young girl. Yeah. You're right. I did, but I liked Gene Smart's character so much that I, um, I didn't care. Okay. I love this show. It's so funny. It's loosely based on Joan Rivers, we think. And so then afterwards, I watched Piece of Work, which is the Joan Rivers documentary, to like see like similarities between their lives. It You talked about this last week, but it is wonderful. It's great comedy. It's so funny. Um, Her outfits are amazing. It's very heartwarming at times. Like both characters can be really unlikable, but for whatever reason, I – liked the show more. I think maybe British humor isn't for me. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, well, I loved, you know what I loved that was British humor was Fleabag. So I do like some. I wouldn't necessarily say that Starstruck was p- particularly British humor. Like, oh, anyway. anyway, but I just absolutely love Flax. It, it just made me so happy and I'm so glad that there's a second season. Same. What about reading? Okay, so on the reading front, I have two important things to talk about. The first is I finished The Blue Bistro by Ellen Hildebrand. What did you think? I loved it so I wanted you to read this so badly because you grew up in a restaurant, and this is very much about a restaurant that I imagine being similar to your parents. So I – we we record the intro outro before we did the interview, but I'm going to ask Ellen about restaurant life and her research process because she got it so – spectacularly right. Like it was, it felt like so nostalgic and warm and fuzzy to me. Um, and I felt like I was back at my parents' restaurant because my parents' restaurant was on Cape Cod. This one was in Nantucket. They were both fine dining. It was wonderful. I will tell you the one thing I, the only thing I had a problem with was how much 
alcohol, the um, the lead character, the hostess, Adrian, is allowed to drink. Like he, they, so one of the plot lines is that she's always carrying a glass of this pink champagne around, and she like really has to adjust because um, she is drinking like three or four glasses a night. But it made me laugh because if you drank on the job at my parents' restaurant, you were fired. So, and I know it was like more of a sales tactic to sell that champagne, but um, like. I remember like specifically like my mom like would never be drinking it on the floor. Like she just wouldn't do it. So that was interesting to me. Oh, I loved that book. It was so good. I loved it. It was it was like all of her books, just like a warm hug. But also the restaurant angle made me so happy. So I'm glad that I finally listened to you with that. I'm glad too. The next one, like this, I want this to maybe be a book club pick. This is it's a thriller. It's very dark. I will tell you there are trigger warnings for like if you had postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or like pretty much anything that could go wrong between a mother and a child. Like don't don't read this book. It's called The Push by Ashley Audrain. And holy shit. It is a dark thriller. What happens is this they're like this happily married couple and one day and you know she's dreamed of being a mom her whole life and she gives birth to a little girl and she's convinced that something is wrong with the little girl and um it really causes her undoing I'll I'll tell you I don't want to spoil anything but she then gives birth to a second child a son and she bonds with the son like it's like the natural like mother child connection So that just makes her think even more there's something wrong with the little girl and nobody will listen to her and then something really terrible happens and still nobody listens to her. And um, it's one of those books you don't know whether the little girl is bad, if if the mother is crazy, and it keeps you guessing until the very last page, which I gasped. I literally gasped and I still can't – I finished this yesterday, so I'm still very fresh from it. I started a Christy Woods and Harvey book next because I needed something like light and happy. But um, I gasped and I like still can't stop thinking about it. And I had some fucked up dreams last night from it. This is like Ooh. my ideal thriller. It's it's. I would say it's not Verity, but it's like Verity level good. Okay. Okay. You need to read it. And that doesn't sound like it's going to do anything for me. <laughs> I know, but I want you to read it because I want to talk about it. I think it would be a great book club pick because I want to talk about it. But I understand if you don't want to read it. <laughs> we'll see. You have all of July to convince me. I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> what are you reading right now? So I don't think that June is going to be a banner reading month for me. But I did start the other night. And when I say start, I mean that in the loosest sense of the word where I read 20 pages of this book called Less by Andrew Sean Greer. And this came up surrounding the underrated book picks episode. Somebody recommended it and it actually won a Pulitzer Prize. And it it sounds very good. It's about a man who's turning 50, who's a struggling author. He's a gay man. I'm pretty sure. I haven't gotten there yet, but based on the back jacket copy, it, it sounds like he basically gets invited to his ex's wedding and then he kind of blows up his life and he goes on this round the world tour. I'm not really positive what's going to happen, but it's very the writing is very sharp and very funny and I was intrigued both by the recommendation as an underrated book and then also by the Pulitzer Prize. So, we'll see. I'll report back on on how it is. I'm I know nothing about this book. I'm just laughing that it was it's underrated, but it's also got a Pulitzer. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that it's like maybe critically acclaimed, but not many people have read it. Yeah, like in our social circle, none of us would have read it. I've but, never heard of it. Frankly, yeah, I haven't so. heard of it either. So it is underrated, but sometimes I'm just like, Grace, you need to do like spend more time like looking at like what's getting Pulitzer Prizes and like what's getting like big awards. Yeah. Rather than reading all of these thrillers. Well, if you need a book, I cannot recommend enough our June book club pick, which we are going to be discussing next week. And we're going to have the author, Emily Henry, with us as well. So we're reading People We Meet on Vacation, which is definitely – it's definitely one of my favorite books that I've read this year, if not the favorite. Um, It's a best friends to lovers romance about um, these two best friends who in the present timeline are estranged. And um, they have a tradition of every summer they take a vacation together. And so the book is told in two timelines. The first timeline is kind of bopping through their their greatest hits of their vacations. And then the present timeline is them finding their way back to each other. And it is just, oh, it is so cute. It gave me all the feels. I'm so excited to reread this book. Like I'm looking forward to reading it again because I just enjoyed it so much the first time. It's really great. It's so sweet. I don't read a lot of romance, but I love this one. And um, all the travel stuff is really fun too. It gave me a lot of wanderlust as we're starting to like plan trips and stuff. Yeah. And in the meantime, we are on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. We also have our Facebook group. Just search Bad on Paper on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman, and I would love it if you checked out my other podcast, Rom-Com Pods. Our current show, Showmance, is on episode four right now. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and my blog is thestripe.com. I post there almost every day, um, so I'd love it if you stopped by. Okay, bye. Bye.